What is Benefit Selling's 2015 Broker of the Year? And an advisor Forbes magazine called one of America's most innovative benefit leaders talking about and implementing with his clients? We'll find out on this two-part episode of Shift Shapers. Change either paralyzes or energizes. The choice is yours. You're listening to the Shift Shapers podcast. You're about to learn firsthand from businesses and entrepreneurs who have successfully shaped the shifts in their industries. Get ready to become the change that you want to see. Here's your host and chief transformation strategist, David Saltzman. This episode of the Shift Shapers podcast is brought to you by Captivated Health, a captive insurance arrangement designed specifically for educational institutions. If you have clients in that vertical, you know the healthcare deck has been stacked against them. Today, Captivated Health offers the stability, control, and savings they've been waiting for. For more information, go to www.captivatedhealth.com or click on the company logo on the Shift Shapers website. That is probably widely misunderstood that I know you're working a lot with clients and is having a significant effect and we'll talk about compensation and all that at the latter part of the second part of our discussion is reference-based pricing. Let's level set and talk about exactly what it is. Can you define that? Sure. I think in its simplest form, we're used to operating through a traditional network with an arbitrary discount off of an arbitrary number. And that results, of course, in an arbitrary end result. So what if we turn that around? Again, you'll hear a common theme from me, doing things as far opposite as what we're doing today as possible. What if instead we took a known definitive amount and marked it up? And that's really what reference-based pricing is, which most of the time uses a percentage above Medicare or cost. So cost ratio, there's a, um, every hospital and facility that participates with with Medicare has to submit every few years to Medicare what it costs them to do a service. So with an MRI, it would include the equipment leasing, the floor space, the technician to run it, the electricity, the insurance on it, and they have to submit what it actually costs them to do that. Medicare then marks that up so that if they get Medicare reimbursement rates, a an efficiently run hospital would be profitable at only Medicare. However, we know hospitals cry poor probably because there's no such thing as an efficiently run hospital. So the point of reference-based pricing is not to take advantage of the providers, but more to pay a fair price. So we there's a few different methodologies, but, but they generally work from looking at the cost, the self-reported cost, and marking that up maybe a greater amount than taking what Medicare would pay and marking that up since that already has a theoretical profit margin built in. But that's all that reference-based pricing is. We're taking some sort of known reference point and we're usually marking that up but altering it to some known amount. So it's now a known increase off of a known number which results in a known net price instead of an unknown discount from an arbitrary number. And to your earlier comment, it's a price that can be determined in advance of a service rather than after a service is rendered. Exactly right. If you can't 
measure it, you can't improve it. And we're not looking to improve things after the fact. There's no opportunity for improvement at that point. You have to be able to get a price in advance. And then we can start to create metrics around steerage that can help drive employees to those providers that we know are providing value. So once we can determine that subset of the provider market that is regularly showing better outcomes and lower costs. And I know we spent a lot of time talking about costs, and, and I think it's important to note that quality is an important metric of that as well. As a matter of fact, I would probably put that as, as a higher priority than cost. However, in healthcare, if you, if you look at the quality metrics that are out there, and, and that's another controversial topic in and of itself, but if you start to look at almost any quality metrics out there and you pull out the providers that are at the higher quality end of the spectrum, you will almost always find them at the lower end spectrum of price. And so there's this inverse relationship in healthcare between cost and quality that's different than we expect in most of the rest of the consumer world that is important. So oftentimes, and I wouldn't use this as the sole metric, but oftentimes by going to the lower cost providers, you're going to the higher quality providers and vice versa. And so we look at both metrics. It's important to note it's not strictly about cost, but they tend to be inversely related in a way that benefits both the patient and the payer. Yeah, we've talked about that on the program before. And generally, the the thinking is that when you find a lower cost provider with higher quality, it's because they specialize in a particular procedure. And so instead of going to a particular local hospital that maybe does 12 hip replacements a year, you go to a center of excellence or some other place where they specialize in doing those hip replacements, and that's all they do. And so just like anything else in life, if you do more of it, you become more expert. And you do find that post-surgical infection rates are lower, length of stay is lower, patient satisfaction is higher. It's a really weird, as you called it, inverse relationship that seems to exist in our business. And I haven't really found that anyplace else. It's it, it's fascinating. So let's get down to the ground level. So I, I'm an employer I've got a partially self-funded plan, and you come to talk to me about reference-based pricing, and because this is so different, my mind starts getting blown. As an advisor, how do you position it? And talk about, I think where some people get stuck, we'll talk about the common misconceptions in a moment, but where some people get stuck is on the workflow, because it's, it's slightly different in some ways than a traditional encounter claim being paid, EOB being generated. It is, although a lot of this happens in a way that's invisible to the employer and, and even the employee. But there's a couple different methodologies on reference-based pricing. One has it being done at facilities only. So we know on average, if you look at facilities, that would be inpatient and outpatient hospitalization, emergency room for, for, and, and major radiology, freestanding radiology centers, you'll typically see on average that be 10% or less from a volume of claims perspective, and usually somewhere between 30 and 60% of costs. So low volume, high cost seems like a great place to attack, and it certainly is. So there are some reference-based pricing methodologies that say, well, let's find a network of providers only, and let's let everything happen through the normal network if you just go to see a doctor. And then we'll do this reference-based pricing of facilities. My challenge with that is the large networks won't let you carve out their facility piece. They have It's contrary to their interest to allow you to do that. And so we're, we wind up left with sort of a second-rate network, which not only tends to bring lesser discounts, 
but also you, you know more provider disruption, a smaller network. So one of the things we've been doing is reference-based pricing across the board, but the more popular one is where you only do it on facilities. So let's kind of go down that path for a second. So for those of you that don't know, a doctor bills a claim on a, on a specific form called a HICFA 1500, and a facility bills on a specific type of claim form called a UB4. And so typically when we do the facility only, the, the claim comes into the TPA just like it normally would. And if it's a UB4, it gets pushed out to the reference-based pricing service. A couple of things happen once they get it. First of all, most contracts that providers have with, with the network have limited or restricted or even no audit provisions built in. And so for the, the ability for the TPA or the employer to, to audit that bill is usually handcuffed, even if it's not physically restricting what you can do, although it often is. I know that one hospital in Texas with the Cigna network had a prompt pay requirement. And if the plan didn't pay the claim within 10 days, they lost that discount on off the gross bill charge. So they put in these really heavy-handed clauses that prevent really deep and responsible auditing of the claim. So without the network, those all go away. So the first thing that we do is the reference-based pricing service will usually assign some sort of clinician, sometimes an MD, and they will get an itemized detailed bill. Just myself, I took my six-year-old son to the emergency room a few weeks ago because he had really bad stomach pains. We thought it was an appendicitis. It turned out to be constipation, and they coded it as a level four emergency room visit. Now, the fact that it was level four doesn't get put on the UB4. It's only on the detailed itemized bill that most TPAs or networks prevent you from asking for. A level four is reserved for life-threatening emergencies, like a heart attack. And so I called the hospital and I said, there's no way this was a level four. And I basically did my own medical bill review. But those are the types of things that medical bill review will find. They'll find, we found pregnancy tests done on male patients. We found circumcisions done when a 40-year-old male went in for gallbladder surgery. I shouldn't say done, I should say billed for. I'm sure they didn't do any circumcisions, but they knew that circumcisions fly through claim systems because there's no pre-certification required. There's really no medical necessity even required. So even if some claim system saw this, it would likely just pass it through. And who knows how many other employers have paid for circumcisions on patients at that hospital that didn't get it done. So the, the depth of medical bill review that we can do in absence of that network is extreme. And we can often cut out between 20 and 40% of costs just in things that weren't done or shouldn't have been done before we even get to the pricing of what was legitimate. And then once the legitimate services have been found, then we look at what Medicare would pay. And most of the time, the employer can choose what that markup of Medicare is. The lower you go, the more pushback you're going to get from the providers. If you look at, on average, what percentage of Medicare network discounts wind up netting to, and this is highly variable, but this is just on average. We've looked at millions and millions of claims through multiple different networks. And if you look at the bill charge and then what the net price wound up being after the discount, you average around 290% of Medicare. So almost three times of what Medicare would pay. So what we typically look at in a reference-based pricing scenario is marking that up somewhere between 106 and 150% of what Medicare would pay. And I think that's an important thing to determine with the employer is get them to understand 
how pricing works in healthcare to the extent that they can weigh in on that decision and have a say on what level of Medicare that we price it at. I think it's important they be involved in that. So once that um, the legitimate services are priced based on the reference that we that the plan decided, that all goes back to the TPA. The TPA creates an EOB and sends it out to the provider and to the member just like they normally do. And it says, you build $100,000, our plan allowed for $10,000. You can bill the member for $1,000 of their deductible, and here's a $9,000 check. Thank you, and have a good day. And honestly, about 85% of the time, the hospital, they have no idea what they're supposed to get. I mean, let's face it, David, if you and I both walked into the same hospital for the same procedure, we both had even Blue Cross Blue Shield ID cards, but yours was the state exchange plan and mine was an employer plan, they're going to get different rates. They're going to get different fee schedules. So they're used to relying on the EOB to tell them what they should be getting. And that's why the incidence of the member getting a balanced bill after the fact is so incredibly low. And now a word from our sponsor. Captivated Health is a single-source solution for your clients and prospects who are in the education vertical. The founders of Captivated Health have nearly 20 years' experience working with educational institutions, and over that time, they've developed a keen understanding of the unique problems these clients experience. Frustrated by a lack of control, the unpredictability of ever-increasing health care costs, and the pressures and regulations of the Affordable Care Act, These groups have been adrift in the fully insured commercial marketplace until now. Captivated Health has built a program that solves those problems, and it does so with virtually no disruption to faculty and staff while saving clients millions of dollars. We wanted you to be among the first to know that Captivated Health is building a national distribution partner network so you can bring this cutting-edge solution to the educational clients you advise. To learn more about the Captivated Health solution, go to their website at www.captivatedhealth.com or click on their logo on the Shift Shapers website. And now, back to our interview. And I want to talk about that in a minute. But the first thing, you were talking a lot about physicians and pushback and whatnot. Isn't There, there are two things that we hear frequently as objections to RBP. One of them is that a physician or a, or a facility looking at an ID card without a logo kind of freaks out. Is that really a problem? And if so, how do you overcome it? Yeah, it is actually the bigger problem. The balance billing piece is one that everyone talks about as being the problem, but we find that to not be the case. So how do you handle that on the front side? Well, it definitely requires some bit of employee education. I think really all that they need to do, the the solution that the provider needs to do is call the provider number on the back of the ID card. That's it. But getting them to do that can be extremely difficult. So we certainly educate the employees to tell them that all you need to do is call this number right here on my ID card if you're not sure and get them to make that call. We can also do it in advance. So we can have the reference-based pricing service. They typically, the better ones, have benefit concierge or some sort of specialist that they can call in advance and that that they can call the provider directly and say... We have a patient coming in. This is how we're going to pay you. Are we good with that? We find that nine times out of 10, once we can connect the right person at the doctor's office with the right person at the TPA or the reference-based pricing service, both of whom are understand what their obligations are to their respective entities, we can then 
almost always come to an agreement that allows the patient to get care from that provider. The challenge is always if we don't get the right people or we can't connect them at all. And that's, I mean, that's the hardest part. This is a simple communication problem. It's not a reference-based pricing problem. It's not a healthcare problem. It's a communication problem. We've touched on this a couple of times, and I know we get this pushback from employers and also from, especially from HR folks who, as you pointed out in the first part of our interview, are, really want happy employees. And, you know, everybody wants happy employees. And that is, oh my gosh, if the provider gets back something less than they build, they're going to balance bill me. Is that a problem? And maybe it was a problem at one point early on. Is it still a problem? Well, you know, first of all, I remind, I love when we get from an employer the decision to launch something as radical, using my air quotes, as this, we then have to start the process of employee education. And I I love going into an employee meeting and I ask them, okay, can everyone raise your hand if you absolutely love your health insurance plan and think you have too little money coming out of your paycheck for it? And of course, not a single person ever raises their hand. And so the key is getting people to recognize that there are major flaws with the system as it exists today. And we talk about balanced billing as though it's not a problem in a traditional network, but I'm sorry, it absolutely is a problem. What we have in a, in a network scenario is a contractual obligation of the provider to, to not do it, but that doesn't mean it doesn't happen. It happens all the time. We get insurance companies that deny claims or they don't pay in full because there was a negotiated discount and the, the, the provider system just sends a bill when they shouldn't. And we know providers collect millions of dollars every year from these quote-unquote balance billing that the member truly didn't owe. So let's first of all acknowledge that the even in a PPO network, the billing scenario stinks, and we've long had a person in our agency dedicated to helping fix those problems in the traditional networks. So to the, 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 the implication that these things, that there are no billing problems within a network is just, is just false. We just have that contract to fall back on to remind them, hey, you can't balance bill. It's illegal. So it, it's more of a complacency issue? I absolutely think it is. What's interesting is providers, if you get them over that hump of lack of logo and lack of understanding, they actually generally find they get paid quicker in a reference-based pricing scenario. They get paid fairer. And the we're, the, the reference-based pricing service and the TPA is, is much more open to talking about some of the things that they might have eliminated initially with the provider. So the billing is simpler. The payment methodology is simpler, and at the end of the day, that typically results even in those providers that have a system that raises a red flag to say, wait a second, this is less than we asked for, and we don't have a PPO contract in place, which rarely happens. It's usually very easy to work with those providers and get it done. So just to give you a scope of volume, we have, uh, and I I just did the math on this the other day, we have about 2,500 members in a reference-based, full reference-based pricing scenario. Now, we have we have more than that if you look at our clients where we're just doing out-of-network, and if you look at our clients where we only have parts of the network carved out. But we have about 2,500 members in which we have full reference-based pricing, both at providers and facilities. And I went back through every one of those before speaking with you, David, and we do not have a single incidents of balanced billing, not a single one. And 
when I look at those same clients and what they were like if they were our client when they had a more traditional plan, I see in our agency management system many instances of people getting bills they didn't think they owed or shouldn't have gotten or didn't in fact owe. So we actually see the volume of of billing issues go down significantly in a reference-based pricing scenario. So we've got about five minutes left, and and we didn't say the most maybe controversial or mind-blowing piece for last intentionally, but it's kind of worked out that way. We've got these techniques. We're saving employers and plans all of this money. We're saving employees money. One of the things that you've started talking about and you're actually doing is you believe that advisors' comp should be tied to performance. Talk about that and and how it actually works and, and why you believe that. So first of all, I mean, if you look at the model, I I mean, the way we get paid and the way we can get paid traditionally has really been something that the more I think about it and the more I make my own awareness uh, higher of it, the more disgusted I become. I mean, I... The fact commission right off the bat, I mean, come on, the more the rates go up, the more we get paid. I mean, if you... I, I think the number one thing employers charge us with is lowering healthcare costs. And that's the number one thing that that traditionally our financial motivations have been contrary to. But let's assume for a minute that we're already talking with, with some advisors that are listening to this that are already on a fee-based. The, the problem with fee-based is, yes, you've removed that disincentive, but you've done nothing to fully align the incentive. And for a long time, I was being overpaid by my clients. There's no question. The real question that I had was, how do I want to fix that? And I saw two ways to do it. Way number one was to charge less. And way number two was to provide more value. And I decided to go with option two. So by lowering costs and tying my compensation to that, then we actually, because we can deliver better value, I mean, you have to be able to do that. And there, we spoke about some of those powerful ways today, but there are more. You can then get paid more. And just yesterday, I got a text from from one of our clients. It's only a 100 life group. It is a smaller group in the scope of things that was already self-insured when when we came in a a year ago. And they said that they wanted us to lower their current costs by 10%. And we said, great, let's tie some financial incentive to it. So we tied bonuses tied to two and a half, five, seven and a half, and 10% reduction. And they agreed to pay me in October. Without even asking them or reminding them, I got a text at 5.03 p.m. yesterday from the vice president of the company saying uh, it was a screenshot of the calculator that we agreed to with the September numbers loaded into it and said, you did it. How do you want your $15,000 bonus? I didn't have to ask them. I didn't have to remind them. They were excited and proud to give it to me. And that's the type of stuff that we're talking about. So that was a bonus on top of our normal consulting fee. But it saved them many times that amount in what we did. And throughout the year, because I knew that that incentive was there, I think I went a little extra. I dove in a little deeper. I listened to the account manager and and spoke with her regularly to look for opportunities to save money. And yes, I'd like to think that I would do that on every client all the time. But let's face it, when the financial incentives are aligned, it probably bumps that up my already crowded priority list a little bit more. Absolutely. And that's a great place to leave our conversation for today. David Contorno, president of Lake Norman Benefits. David, thanks for sharing your expertise with the Shift Shapers audience. Thank you for the opportunity. 
The Shift Shapers podcast is a production of Strategic Vision Publishing and David Saltzman. This podcast may not be reproduced in any form, in whole or in part, without the express written permission of the producers. All rights reserved. Thank you.